crowd of the news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Celebrities have always occupied an odd yet hard to describe role in society. They entertain us, they influence us, they even sell us products we didn't even know we needed. And sometimes provide an escape from our daily lives, even though we don't really know them at all. And ironically, when they do open up or offer just a little bit of unfettered access into their lives, they don't always get it right. Imagine there's no heaven and the world will be as one. But times are changing. Social media and new technology platforms have tweaked who and what becomes famous. Will these new developments weaken the power Hollywood gatekeepers and traditional power brokers possess? Will this lead to more permanent diversity in TV and film? Or will a divergence from the monoculture we've enjoyed for decades permanently dilute what it means to be a celebrity? Hi, my name is Takara Small. I'm sitting in for Jordan Heath Rawlings, and you're listening to The Big Story. Stacey Lee Kong is a writer, editor, and the founder of Friday Things, a pop culture newsletter for which she received a nomination for a digital publishing award. Stacey, thanks so much for joining us. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for this conversation too. So for people who are tuning in and thinking, I don't really care what celebrities do or say, I have to disagree because they play such a pivotal role in our society. They influence what we buy, our politics, they draw attention to causes. And I'm thinking about Leonardo DiCaprio and his environmental activism right now. So I think it's really important to take a look at how celebrity has changed and what that means. Before we dive in, can you define for us what it means to be a celebrity right now? Because before the criteria was a little simpler star in a movie, record a hit song, and hey, You're a celebrity. But that's not really the way it is now, right? No. So I actually think the function of celebrity and how celebrity works, it's the same. What has changed is access to celebrity or access to like the tools or or how to become a celebrity. So you're right. 10 years ago, a lot of times celebrities were people who had really big creative achievements in the music industry or the movie business, or they wrote books. But I would argue that so you you were also kind of a minor celebrity if you were well known in even more niche communities. So like that could mean anything from an online community. So I don't know how familiar familiar you are with fandom, but 
when I was in high school, I was really into Harry Potter fandom and there were celebrities within Harry Potter fandom that like the average person didn't know, but they were literally called big name fans or BNF for short. And those people were celebrities in that community. If you live in a small town or like a neighborhood, even within a big city, there may be local characters and those people were celebrities. So that hasn't changed. What's different now is that those maybe, you know, big name Harry Potter fans, now they could create an entire platform on TikTok or on Instagram or on Twitter and become like actually big name famous. Like they could become a celebrity to people well outside their niche community. And that to me is the difference. You mentioned access and you also hinted at platforms and the role they play. Yes. How has that changed our access to these people? And have they opened up more opportunities for more diverse entertainers and influencers? I think so. So first of all, I, I don't think you can overstate the role that platforms play. So regardless of what niche you're in, you know, there's a lot of journalists who have built entire careers and leveraged that into other non-journalism opportunities. I am one of them through Twitter. There's a whole bunch of people who do pop culture criticism solely on TikTok. These tech platforms, they're kind of hooking on to what some people are calling the creator economy. This idea that the next kind of economic movement, it's going to be entrepreneurship in a way that we haven't necessarily seen before that's really focused on content creation. And it's going to become increasingly professionalized and increasingly monetized. To be fair, not like we haven't seen this before. We've seen lots of people grow huge platforms on something like YouTube and leverage that into millions of dollars. But like where we have looked at influencers as something kind of lesser than from an economic power perspective, I think that has actually already changed. And so that's part of where these platforms come in, right? Where, you know, you can diminish the impact of what people are doing by saying, oh, well, they're just like talking into a camera. But actually what they're doing is serving an audience and that audience is becoming increasingly loyal and will pay increasing numbers of dollars in order to interact with their fave. And so to the point that you made about, you know, it does this open up opportunities for diversity and inclusion, it absolutely does because the barriers to entry are so much lower. And so I come from a traditional journalism background. In order to become a journalist, I have to go to journalism school. I had to do unpaid internships because at the time those were legal. I, you know, had entry-level jobs. I had all of these. Yeah, like it was a not a great time. But I had to do all of these things in order to get a job at a magazine. And from there, that's how I was able to, you know, write stories and kind of try and give my opinion on things. And even then, it was like a, I mean, it's still a hierarchy. I was still very junior. I was still, you know, lacking in kind of workplace power and influence. And now, if I were starting my career now, I could circumvent all of that. Mm-hmm. So there are opportunities. And And in every way that I was able to do that, it was in many ways, despite my race, despite my gender, despite my age, like there were all of these barriers that could have and have kept people outside of journalism. Now you can create a platform, you can create a publication with relative ease. There's all of these tools that exist to make it easier to do art direction, easier to publish. You could You learn how to use WordPress fairly easily. You can access Canva so you don't need to pay thousands of dollars for Photoshop. Like 
these tools exist. But do these lowered barriers to entry dilute the power of, you know, quote unquote celebrity? Because there are so many people we're following these days. I'm not sure if it dilutes the power. I mean, not everyone gets to be a celebrity on the same stature as Mariah Carey or BTS or, you know, even still someone like Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, in that way, there is a bit of a dilution of power that we use the same word celebrity for actually like a phenomenon that has many, many, many such strata. But it's just a matter of scale. Mm -hmm. Celebrity still functions in very similar ways. There are people who, or, you know, maybe the a good way of looking at this is think about who your like younger family members, your kids or your little cousins or, you know, your nieces and nephews, who do they love? And nine times out of 10, the younger people in my family are talking about people who I have no idea who they are. But those people are still incredibly powerful in their spheres. Mm -hmm. So if we're thinking about celebrity only as one thing, and it's only as kind of like the traditional celebrity actor or musician, then yes, there's a dilution of power because not everyone's on that scale. But we have seen people try and get to that scale, right? We've seen people like the D'Amelio sisters or Addison Ray translate their audience or at least attempt to go from TikTok star to movie star. Mm -hmm. Or we've seen people try to become, you know, music stars or rappers or whatever it is. So I think it's, it's really thinking about it as a, a matter of scale and not as a matter of like celebrity is one thing. And because celebrity isn't just one thing anymore, like being on the cover of Vogue or People magazine, I wonder how that has influenced Hollywood culture and our ideas about what makes someone a quote-unquote star. We're starting to see people climb the ladder from around the world now too, like Squid Game, which was just nominated for an Emmy, first time a non-English language drama series has been nominated ever. And it's 2022, folks. That's just bonkers to me. Yes. Okay. But to me, that kind of speaks of the enduring power of gatekeepers because like, I don't actually know if I agree that a Vogue cover is not as influential or, you know, maybe it is not the only type of influence, but it's still an achievement. Pure numbers, just numbers of followers, you know, the percent, your, your engagement rate, those things are also markers of influence. But I do think those traditional markers of success. So a Vogue cover still means something because it was a really big deal when Kim Kardashian got a Vogue cover. That was a stated goal. Mm -hmm. It was a, a way to kind of mark her as a serious fashion person when she had achieved that. And I think awards function in a, a very similar way that when you have something, it could be popular. So Squid Game was incredibly popular, but to get this kind of institutional buy-in, that still is, as we, we, we just said, that's still an achievement. And so I do think that the impact of celebrity and, and kind of how that, how, how we're navigating celebrity, it's changed, but the gatekeepers are not gone. Interesting. So despite the fact that we've seen moderate strides in recent years, I'm thinking here about shows like Lupin, one of the highest rated, most watched French series of all time on Netflix, which also featured a Black lead. 
In general, we're seeing more BIPOC leads even outside the Marvel Universe, but there's still gatekeepers playing a massive role. Absolutely. Even things like who is considered an A-lister versus a D-lister. Let's break that down for people who are listening. What is a D-lister? What does that term even mean? Right. So traditionally, and when I say traditionally, because we're talking about the internet, everything moves very quickly. So like in the past, say, 10, 12 years, you would always know like an A-lister was someone who was the most famous. They could go by one name. They were just like the most powerful celebrity. So like Rihanna is an A-lister. Taylor Swift is an A-lister. Those people are really at the top of the celebrity strata. But then, you know, especially around the time of reality TV shows, you would start to sort of quantify influence or fame or kind of almost value. So I don't know. I never actually fully understood what made someone a B-lister or a C-lister, but I do remember a lot of reality TV stars being known as D-listers. So like they were famous. A lot of people knew who they were, but they weren't getting, they didn't have the same level of prestige. Gucci was not going to Snooki to be like, listen, you have to be the face of my brand. And actually that gets us into some ideas around class as well, right? That we've talked a lot about race and how who gets to ascend to those really like highest levels of celebrity, most prestigious levels of celebrity. A lot of times you will notice that those are the lightest skinned people, even if they are black, even if they are racialized. You'll notice that they're people with the most Eurocentric features. And you'll notice that they are people who kind of uphold ideas of white supremacy and patriarchy. Not always. And certainly that is a a space of tension for celebrities right now, trying to figure out how and whether they can be political. But class is the other part of that where people who seemed classless or low class, for a time we were thinking of those people as um, reality TV show stars. I'm curious whether that kind of like delineation still applies now, because I don't think anyone is looking at TikTok stars, for example, and saying, oh, they're not very classy. But I do think they aren't as prestigious as other kind of more established celebrities. So what I'm interested to see happen next is who translates their TikTok fame or their internet fame into a more wider reaching celebrity. I think Meg Thee Stallion is a good example of of that, who she really built up her platform on social media, but she's able to then translate that through her talent, through her savviness, through, you know, she's partnering with the right people and kind of putting herself in the right situations she's been able to translate that into a more like wide-reaching star. She's a multi-platform star. She's not just on TikTok and Famous. Do you think the power gatekeepers hold will decrease over time because of what we were talking about before and the lowered barriers to entry? No, because there's another side to that, right? When you talk about these creators that are accumulating this power, they're getting it from someone. So they're creating ready-to-wear lines, but they're not doing it for themselves. It's still often a partnership. And a lot of that is just practical. Like, 
you know, Addison Ray or whoever is, you know, has a clothing line isn't necessarily going to be hand sewing anything. So they've got to partner with someone who has infrastructure. Even Lizzo is a great example of this. Lizzo is a multi-platform star. She's a, a star star, but her uh, Yiddy line is in partnership with Fabletics. So she had to be attractive to Fabletics. They had to see her as a worthwhile investment. And that's the the equation that everyone is going to be making. So maybe the gatekeepers change. Maybe what we will actually see more of is more people from these kind of so-called marginalized groups. So more people of color, more people with disabilities, more people from various queer communities. Maybe those are the people who are going to move into these gatekeeper positions Mm -hmm. because that does seem to be kind of happening. But will gatekeepers go away completely? No, someone still has to decide to give you the business opportunity. Someone still has to decide that you are worthy of investment. Okay, follow-up question to that. Do you think Hollywood gatekeepers still wield the same level of influence as before? The reason I ask that is because you're starting to see huge stars emerge from different countries. We have Nollywood in Nigeria. We have Bollywood in India. China has a massive film industry. And none of them rely on Hollywood for money or visibility, like perhaps they would have in years past. So that is a really good point. I think you're right that the very specific Hollywood um, and music industry gatekeepers, their influence is going to be a little bit diffused or diluted. But I think other gatekeepers are very quickly rising the ranks, right? So even in something like Bollywood, the same factors still apply. There are still gatekeepers there and white supremacy still is a factor, right? Like racism or, Mm -hmm. you know, ideas about religion or ideas about, you know, like feminism. Those are all, they don't, just because we leave kind of the Western ecosystem doesn't mean that those issues go away. So A, I think I'm just like not, I'm not super hopeful that gatekeepers in other industries and in other even regions are going to be less controlling in a way, because the interests of capitalism remain. The fact remains that companies, regardless of where they're based, are going to want to make money. And so it comes down to who do I think my audience is going to be most amenable to? And the issue of skin lightening is still an issue in, you know, in other countries. So light skin still becomes a beauty standard or thin bodies still become a beauty standard. So like, I think it's getting better, but I want to, I want to kind of caution us against thinking that this is some drastic change because I really do think other gatekeepers, even if they're not in Hollywood, even if they're in the beauty industry, even if they're in fashion, even if they're in, you know, tech, who decides which people are worth partnering with? Those people are not making decisions in a vacuum. They're making it in the society they live in with all of the problems of that society. Right. We can't assume that there's this utopia that exists outside of Hollywood that would level the playing field for women or BIPOC, regardless of where they come from. Exactly. Like, I do I do think it is getting better. And I think the fact that there are more people, BIPOC, women, queer people, disabled people, the fact that there are more, there's more visibility is a good thing. And there's more opportunity. That's definitely a good thing. But I'm like, I'm suspicious of capitalism. And I'm suspicious of the way that 
the desire to profit still ends up dehumanizing people. Even if you have the best intentions, even if you are from that same community, I don't think any of us are immune from these issues. And so like, I'm, I am cautiously optimistic in some ways, but I want us to not get too excited and think, oh, you know, we've solved this problem. Because the problem is actually a lot more complicated than we think. You know, it is quite complicated. So I want to read the results of a study to you and get your take on it. There was a study done in 2021. It was completed by MSL and the Influencer League. First of its kind, really looking at how social media celebrities are paid. They found a massive, and I mean massive gap in pay between white and black influencers. Yes. And that is true across every type of celebrity, right? That we live in a white supremacist society and a patriarchal society that places a higher value on white people and men than on everybody else. And the closer you are to that, I'm saying this in air quotes, I want to be very clear, ideal, the more money and more value you get. And the further away you are, the less you get. And that is a dynamic that plays out across the world. Like the legacy of colonialism means that that issue is not just happening in majority white countries, it happens everywhere. And it doesn't go away. Like it's a system, right? So even if you're working with a manager and that manager is a racialized person and they 100% go to bat for you, there's still this question of what value you bring. And there are these unconscious biases that say that, for example, Black women don't bring as much value as white men. Or we should be grateful for the opportunities that we get as racialized people. That is everywhere. And so it's one of those situations where I wasn't surprised, but it's like a little shocking to see it in black and white. It's a little shocking to see those numbers and be like, oh, so all of the things that we say about diversity and inclusion, that's not backed up by your dollars. And until it's backed up by the dollars, like that at that point, that's when I'm going to be you know, shouting it from the rooftops, I'll stop being like, okay, but actually when there's actually money behind it, then I'll feel a lot better. I'm going to wrap up this interview with what I think might be the hardest question of our conversation. Uh, and that is, what do you see as the future of celebrity? What do you think needs to happen to level the playing field and even the stakes? Is there a happy ending to all of this? Oh man, you weren't joking. Um, you know, I think what needs to happen is actually what we just talked about. It needs to be if companies, and I'm talking about entertainment companies, beauty companies, tech companies, whoever wants to kind of, all of those people who have an impact on the money that celebrities make, whatever kind of celebrity they are, if those companies actually want to like walk the talk, because lots of people are talking about pay equity right now, for example, but we don't often see, for example, male celebrities saying, I'm, I'm not going to do this job unless my female co-star is paid the same wage as me. When it happens, it's a news story. So I think what needs to happen and what I hope we'll see happen more is that the people with the most privilege in any of these spaces start to advocate for their peers with less privilege. And I think that is what will lead to real change how long that will take? I'm not sure. Because even right now, we see a lot of companies that are saying the right things when it comes to progressive values. But 
they are also, for example, in the states at least, donating to both Republicans and Democrats. So there's a little bit of like, you're saying one thing and you're doing another thing. So I think when what people say from a marketing perspective about diversity and inclusion is matched by their actual actions, well, that's what it takes to have real change. My hope is that as more people who come from so-called marginalized groups, more people who have experienced oppression get into positions of power, then they behave like you want them to, right? Like they don't buy into the same capitalist viewpoint of we just have to make as much money as possible and do things that are morally and ethically right. It's morally and ethically right to pay your co-stars the same amount of money, regardless of their gender, regardless of their race, regardless of whatever. I wonder though, is that incompatible with their economic system as it is right now? I mean, the idea of paying individuals based on their contributions, based on what's fair, does that align with the profit motive we have? It absolutely does not. It just doesn't. And so I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, I'm glad that we are ending on this thought because that is actually the question. The question for almost all things is, how do we do this in the system that we have? And if we can't do this, if we can't actually pay people fairly in our current economic system, then is this the system that we want? Like, and I don't mean that in a like burn it all down kind of way, although sometimes I do feel like that, but I more mean like there's only so much that we can do by talking about inequality. There's only so much we can do by talking about, you know, the the ways that companies fall down on the progressive values they say they have. At a certain point, we have to start thinking, okay, is there like, what's the systemic change? What actually has to happen? And I don't know the answer to that. Like, even when you talk about the ways that our society needs to change from a public health perspective, from a policing perspective, from, you know, all sorts of things. Like when we talk about those things, there's a lot of pushback from a climate perspective. There's a lot of pushback. And these are issues that impact every single one of us. So I don't know, like I don't have a satisfying, happy ending answer because I truly don't know what it will take for the people, like there are so many of us, but for the people to say, these systems are not working. I think it's so funny because we started talking about Snooki and Gucci and now here we are. Right? Okay. I was just going to say, but this is why, but this is why we talk about celebrities, or at least it's why I talk about celebrities, because you all knew, everyone knew who I said when I said, who I meant when I said Snooki, but like, that's what they are. The celebrities are just a clever trick. They're a way to get you to think about the way our world works. And they are our biggest kind of desires and political beliefs writ large. So they're just good examples. But the real conversation is what what kind of world do we live in? And is it the world that we want to live in? And if not, what do we do to change it? Thank you so much, Stacey. And for those who are listening and interested, you can find, subscribe, read, etc. Her newsletter called Friday Things. Thank you for having me. Stacey Lee Kong, writer, editor, and founder of Friday Things. And that was the big story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Talk to us anytime via email at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or give us a ring at 416 935 
5935. I'm Takara Small, sitting in for Jordan Heath Rawlings this week. I'll talk to you tomorrow.